everyone to my weird little podcast where we talk about, yeah, where we talk about everything strange and weird and uh, historic and creepy and spooky and all of the good stuff. So uh, today's episode, well, first we have the lovely Roxana as our host, as well as, yeah, as well as myself. Um, you know me, Tia. Pat is there in the background somewhere doing his mm. thing. <laughs> Being spooky. <laughs> um, today is the one with I don't know, how what should we call this one? I guess uh religious Sex against the, not sex as an S-E-X, I guess, um, religious <laughs> groups against the government. There we go. Religious, yeah, okay. That seems Does pretty that- long. Uh- <laughs> yeah, so wait, what is it? The one with the... The one the- with... <laughs> uh, hold on, let me think. Uh, uh, we'll come back to this one. I'll okay. think about it. Uh, the one with religious extremists? There we go. Yeah, there we go. We did it. (laughs) We got there. I like it. Um, what year does yours take place in? Nineteen ninety-three. Okay, mine is nineteen ninety-eight. So maybe I should go first this time. Okay, yeah, because then you'll you'll give a basis of how the government should have known better. I don't know. (laughs) Um, not exactly. My case is a little bit different so okay so i it was a little hard for me to find information on this uh there were no youtube videos that i could find done uh so i found stuff from wikipedia obviously uh, an article from the desert news and what's here's my other one daily mail was the other one article that i had read for this but typically, I can usually find multiple YouTube videos on the subject when I'm doing it, which is helpful because someone else is pretty much narrating the what I have to say in right. their words, and I can just put in my words. And so most of this is coming from Wikipedia, unfortunately. Or fortunately, Wikipedia is awesome. Give them yeah. money. Mom, give your mom money. Uh, yeah. I guess the opposite of mine is is the fact that there was so much information because there was so much media attention on this, mm. and so there are various uh, videos and documentaries about the different aspects of what happened. Yeah. Cool. Um. So, so, okay. So I, I'll go first. So mine, this is known as the Singer Swap Saga. It is also known as the Singer Swap, uh, or Swap Singer Mormon Standoff. Uh, it's also been known, I believe it was known as the Utah Standoff, or maybe I'm getting that wrong. Um, but I don't know. I, I remember writing this down in my notes and then uh, like last week when I was looking at what I was going to do this week, I was like, you're doing Waco and then I'm doing the singer swap 
standoff. And I was like, I have no idea what that's about. Like, you know, when you say Waco, most people have some sort of idea of what it is. Yeah. Yeah. But with this, even, even after I had apparently done research on this or had known something about it, like I even still forgot about it very easily. Um, but anyways, let's, let's just get into it. Then after this, we will all, we will all know. <laughs> yes. So on uh, January 16th, 1988, a Mormon fundamental, fundamentalist group led by Adam Swap and his mother-in-law, Vicki Singer, bombed a church, uh, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in Marion, Utah. Then the group retreated to their homestead a half mile away, holding up for 13 days, 150 armed uh, FBI agents and people from the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms descended on the compound, surrounded them, and the the standoff ended after a shoot-off on January 28th, which left uh, Utah Departments of Corrections Lieutenant Fred House dead. So this saga... Uh, began in 1979 when a polygamist, John Singer, was shot and killed by police after he was served a warrant. Uh, Police say Singer uh, resisted arrest and pulled a gun on them. Adam Swap, his son-in-law, who was in high school at the time, admitted that the shooting had a great impact on him, and he ended up becoming part of the family. So he... The reason the police officers were uh, coming to serve John Singer a warrant is because he had illegally pulled his kids out of school because, well, I'll get into that. They basically truancy and he was getting arrested because his kids weren't in school. And his son-in-law took this very personally. Um, his son-in-law had actually married two of his daughters because they were polygamous family. So there was a big rift between the Latter-day Saints church and their family. I'll get more into that in in a bit. Um, So uh, Swap admitted he developed very, very strong religious beliefs and thought that, uh, uh, that somehow Singer was guiding him. Uh, after an issue with the uh, water rights arose, Swap planted 18 sticks of dynamite in the LDS meeting house. Uh, the bombing on ni- the ninth anniversary of Singer's death was intended to spark a confrontation that would lead to Singer's resurrection. So basically, his father-in-law was killed nine years earlier during a, a shootout with police over a uh, warrant for his arrest for truancy of his kids and his son-in-law decided he was going to avenge his father-in-law and somehow this was going to resurrect him from death uh, by bombing the Latter-day Saints church. So very convoluted, but this gives you an idea of, I mean, just sigh, big sigh on this one. Yeah. Oh, religious extremists. 
Great. Anyways, so let's start from the beginning. John Singer was born in 1931 in the United States to German immigrants who emigrated back to their home country soon after his birth. Young John Singer grew up during World War II and enlisted as a member of the Hitler Youth. <sighs> yeah. After the war ended, Singer traveled back to the United States to live with his aunt in New York City. Soon his family followed. Once he earned enough money, Singer drove to Utah where he established a television repair business out of his home and married his wife, Vicki Lemon Singer. I know these are terrible people, but I love the middle name Lemon. Um, yeah, it just reminds me of Liz Lemon from 30 Rock. Exactly. Um, so where I wonder where Tina Fey is from. I wonder if that's like a Utah no middle name coast or something like that oh yeah that's true um okay so it it is unclear when john singer joined the church of latter-day saints but he eventually did in okay so march of 1973 john and vicky singer removed their children from the local schools claiming that they created an environment that permitted vulgarity sex and drug use Woo. Um, <laughs> rock and roll. I won't disagree completely with that being said about public school, but it, that is a bit extreme. Um, oh God, <laughs> the singers also believed that textbooks should not be allowed to contain images of black and white children together. Oh boy. <laughs> So after a battle with the local school board, they were allowed to homeschool their children. Singer, however, continued to fight against the state-mandated supervision forced upon them. This led to a six-year legal battle, and Singer fought the Utah state of government for custody of their children. Um, Eventually, John and Vicki Singer were charged with neglect and child abuse as they were found not to be adequately educating their children. Huh. Shocking. Huh. Yeah. So shocking. So several years earlier, the singers had been excommunicated from the LDS church as a result of their support of polygamy or other fundamentalist values that the church had outlawed in the at the beginning of the 20th century. So some people might not know this about Mormons. So I actually grew up friends with several Mormons that were part of the Church of Latter-day Saints. Church of Latter-day Saints is, I'm going to say, is the newer church. Yeah, more modern. So they're, they're not going to be the ones that you see with all the women in prairie dresses with their hair braided down the back. And, you know, they don't believe in polygamy. No. Um, they're the ones that had those commercials a lot of time about... Yeah. Yeah, you know, conflict resolution and peace in the home and that kind of thing. Yeah. Like, they wanted to come off as very mainstream and yeah. distance themselves from yeah the whole Mormonism with the polygamy and dressing up like uh, prairie ladies. <laughs> yeah, I w- I would say for the most part they're pretty. I I don't want to say normal like re- 
there's no religion that's more normal than another one, but they're pretty. You know, body of Christ, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're pretty mainstream. So they do still believe in modesty. Um, women still are very much urged to grow their hair long, which is. Uh, I'm going to try to keep my personal opinions about this particular religion to myself because I am also pretty ignorant about it. But if you look up the reason why they grow their hair long and you will sigh just as hard as I do, I'm just not even going to talk about it. But LDS <laughs> is, is a different... There are Mormons out there who are not in this cult-like mentality of, you know, having these compounds with tons of women on them and having multiple wives and not all like that and having 14-year-old wives or 12-year-old wives, like that's the Latter-day Saints, that is not them. They are not this. Yeah. So that's that's why you might be conf like some people might be confused like, well, isn't he a Mormon? Aren't the Church of Latter-day Saints Mormons? They're not all the same. It's not yeah. It's very different. So anyways, so uh, during their time battling the state, Singer took a second wife. Her name was Shirley Black and her five children. There were two raids on their home, the first taking place on October 19th, 1978. In this instant instance, three Utah Highway Patrol officers dressed as reporters from the L.A. Times tackled him. And before the family came to his aid, he was able to free uh, a hand to pull out a gun. After this incident, the singers were nearly were under near constant. They were under near constant surveillance by law enforcement. And on the 18th, January 18th, 1979, Singer's compound was raided by a group of 10 Summit County Sheriff officers after pulling out his gun. Singer was shot to death. After his death, Vicki Singer filed a lawsuit against the state for $110 million, but it was thrown out three years later. John Singer's death made him a martyr to both of both of his families uh, and certain <laughs> libertarian and anti-federalist groups. So that's the incident before the big incident. So let's talk a little bit about his son-in-law, Adam Swap. So uh, he's a polygamist. He married two of John Singer's daughters. Uh, he was born April 6, 1961 in Salt Lake City, Utah, to conservative Mormon parents. Hmm. Uh, before discovering... Uh, John Singer Swap had already been acquainted to the idea of Mormon fundamentalism. Fundamentalism, <laughs> <laughs> and his father had introduced him to a small group in Manti, Utah, when he was seventeen. Swap heard on the news about Singer's fight against the government and decided to meet him before uh, before he had the chance. Uh, before he had the chance, however, Singer was killed. Later, Swap would marry two of Singer's daughters, Heidi and Charlotte. Oh, I like those names. 
um, with whom he had six children. Heidi Lemon Bean, Charlotte Lemon Bean. Maybe, I don't know. I got to think about that. <laughs> I really want to name my kid Delphine, but I think Delphine Bean is just cruel, um, especially because Delphine is after Madame uh, Delphine Lollery. Um, yeah, that's oh, terrible. Well, you know, because like, people can be like, oh, it's like after Dolphin, you know? You know, our kid, our kid would just be called Dolphin. So, oh well, yeah, that's okay. This kid yeah. that's probably never going to exist. So, you know, um, or maybe it'll be a cat. I don't know. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> the family continued to live on the singer's camp compound for the next nine years, uh, growing a hatred for the LDS Church. And in 1987, Swap sent a letter to several community members demanding reconciliation for singer's death and condemning the LDS church. So yeah, this guy's very interesting to, uh, looking. He just like, you look, you should look up a picture of him. If you look up a picture of him, you're like, Oh yeah, that's, that's a crazy person. I, mean, <laughs> I hate to say that. Okay. That's judgmental for me to say that this guy is misguided, very much misguided. Uh, he definitely drank the Kool-Aid. Um, yeah. Like, in court, he was wearing, like, this jacket. I don't know how you would ex describe the jacket, but it's this leather buckskin jacket that has all of these, uh, Native American tribal symbols on it and an American flag on the back. Oh, yes. Um, and you'll see he... With the trying to resurrect John Singer, like he's obviously thinking that he's going to do some sort of ritual that and it's going to like in his mind, it's going to work. Otherwise, why would he do this? Right, exactly. He's he's has that he will accomplish his goal. Yeah. All right. So here we go. On January 16th, 1988 at 3 a.m., it was the nine year anniversary of John Singer's death. Adam Swap and Vicky Singer detonated 50 pounds of ni nitrate boosted dynamite inside of an LDS chapel in Marion, Utah. The bomb caused between, oh God, 1 million and 1.5 million in damage. Um, after this, the family retreated to their home compound where uh, nine adult and six children with okay where they had nine adults and six children they prepared to defend themselves against the united states government by that night the compound had been surrounded by roughly 150 law enforcement personnel the day after the bombing oh where did i write okay okay so the day after the bombing vicky singer son-in-law roger bates was allowed to invent allowed by investigators to visit the compound and returning to explain that the family had no intentions of surrendering. So the group had bombed the church in hopes, uh, the group had bombed the church in hopes of resurrecting John Singer. Before the bombing, Swap had placed a, a spear with nine feathers tied to it, supposedly signifying the nine years since Singer's death into the ground near the church. 
footprints left in the snow led straight, uh, led, oh, from the sphere, led straight back to the Singer estate, confirming investigators' suspicions. Adam Swap claimed to have received a revelation from God that he must complete these actions in order to put it in, uh, put into motion the events that would lead to the res- resurrection of his father-in-law. So that makes sense. <sighs> yes. When I was doing research earlier today, I had to keep stopping and I kept like going up to Pat. I was like, these are horrible people. These are horrible, horrible people. I think. Oh, oh, it gets better with my story too. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh God. I think like at first I was like, I had an idea because I actually had read an article later on that takes place 25 years after this whole situation, which was in the early 2000s. And I'm reading the articles. I had an idea, but I think when I did the research and I came across the fact that John Singer was part of the Hitler youth, that's when I was just like, should I even tell this story? Like, should I even talk about these people? Like, this is so horrible. Yeah. And yet, (sighs) so convinced they're righteous. Yeah. So the singers were ready to defend themselves to death if necessary, reportedly believing that the entire nation was on the verge of collapse. So by the third day, it's always that too. It's always like, oh, this is, it's always like end of world times, you know? And like our, our actions don't matter because the world's going to end anyway. So we can be extreme if we want to, because like, it's all going to be over soon. Like that that's definitely cult mentality that that's like Jamestown and Charles Manson and ugh, I'm going to drink some of my kombucha real quick. (laughs) (laughs) Settle your stomach. Mm -hmm. By the third day, family members were observed on the property collecting wood while officials waited desperate to find a way to bring the standoff to a peaceful conclusion. On January 25th, officials set, sent in Ogden Kraut, uh, which sounds like an official name to me, uh, a fellow, Sorry. oh no, he's not, never mind. Uh, he was a fellow fundamentalist and a friend of the Singer family to serve as a mediator. Uh, the family refused to cooperate, explaining only that the ordeal must, must escalate into a violent conflict in order for Swap's earlier revelation to come to pass. So by this time, the family oh. had endured nine days under under siege as officers had not only cut off their water and electricity, but also bombarded them with bright lights loud no- and loud noises during the night. It was suspected that the family also had an extra reserve of explosives. So, on January 28th, police made a final uh, effort to take the compound. Uh, They used flashing strobe lights to incapacitate Singer before releasing police dogs on the compound. The light was meant to be triggered by a booby-trapped loudspeaker positioned near the house, but was instead triggered as Swap shot, shot it with his rifle. The dog handler, Lieutenant Fred House, 
was confused uh, into thinking that the plan had worked and stepped into uh, into the open to release the dogs. Uh, John Timothy Singer, who is uh, John Singer's son, uh, confined to a wheelchair at the time, open-fired on the officers, ca- causing some superficial wounds on surrounding officers and fatally wounding uh, Fred House. Despite efforts of paramedics, House died on the scene. A, fire- a firefight ensued in which Swap was also injured. Two armored personnel carriers then raided the compound, taking heavy fires. Swap surrendered uh, soon after, waving a white, ta- a white towel stained with blood. Ugh. <sighs> Despite the fact that Adam Swap was not the one to take the fatal shot, he was held responsible for the incident. Well, duh. And he received 17 years in a federal prison for the bombing. Uh plus one to 15 years for the conviction of manslaughter. He was taken to federal prison in Arizona uh, as of, as several of his relatives worked in the state prison. Swap reportedly stated shortly before his sentence that he would not be facing any prison time as the go- government was on the verge of collapse. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. Upon entering prison, Swap still appeared to be unmoved uh, in his belief. Uh, John Timothy Singer and Adam Swap's son, Jonathan Swap, were each sentenced 10 years. Uh, John Timothy Singer served an additional eight years on a murder conviction. Vicki Singer was sentenced to five in prison and five years parole for her role in the incident. So after years of legal wrangling culminated in a violent standoff on January 28, 1988, the Singer children were taken into government custody and hopefully finally put into school, you know. Given some therapy, maybe. Yeah. So I honestly don't think he served long enough, but that's not my call to think that because... He you're breaking is it. he is out now um, because that time has all been served. And so, sorry, I burped again. Um, damn cam- kombucha. Um, so I was reading an article about, I read one article that was like, he's going to be released soon. And then another article that's like, he was released three days ago. Uh as I'm like doing research research on this and I'm just like, oh my God, like, I don't know. I just was like full of different conflicting emotions on this, you know? Yeah. So, so in 2007, after Swap's original conviction was served, he went under review, but was deemed by Anne House, who was the widow of Fred House, to have not shown the proper amount of remorse and personal development. Six years later, on July 9th, 2013, uh, despite potentially serving a maximum of 75 years, Singer was released after only 25 years as a result of a letter sent by Anne House stating that he had spent enough time as well as showing personal growth and stability. During his final hearing, Swap expressed his remorse and apologized profusely to the family. 
Vicki Singer was released on parole in 1994. Timothy Singer was released on parole in 2006. So here's what he actually said. Uh, here's his actual statement on him profu uh, profusely apologizing. Apologizing profusely. Um, and I'll let you decide if this sounds like... I'll let you just decide, okay? So... I'm so sorry for, you ready? Oh, okay, okay, for sure, here we go. Uh, I'm so sorry for all the pain I've caused so many people, most especially to the House family. To the House family, I want to say publicly, I'm so very sorry for having caused Fred's death. I'm so very sorry for having caused your family deep grief and pain for all these years. If I could, I'd like to tell you, Fred, publicly, I'm so sorry for causing your death. I was so wrong with what I did by blowing up the church and resisting arrest. I know now that I know now that you only wanted a peaceful end to the standoff. I'm sorry that I've ca caused you to miss out on the life of your family, especially in the lives of your children and the love and companionship with your wife. I hope somehow on the other side, God will let you hear these words from my heart. Dear Fred, I am so very, very sorry for causing your death. And I then he goes on to say, <laughs> I'm not the same person I was when I came to prison. My core beliefs have completely changed. I am completely opposed to the violent acts that I committed that got me sent to prison. Uh, I am fully determined to live a life of peace, to be the blessing to my fellow man. When I finally am buried and people reflect upon my life, I want it not to be what happened to what happened to me in 1988, but the man I've become since I got out of prison, so I can be a blessing to fellow man. And that when people talk about me, it will be with love in their hearts, not as some radical, not as some fanatic, but as someone who truly reflected the teachings of Christ. So when I read that, I was so angry because this is not something that happened to you. This yeah, did not that, happen to uh, you. That shit's so that fucked is, up. This did not happen to you. You made this happen. This yeah. was not something that happened. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Like, oh, people don't want, I don't want people to think about me and um, what happened to me in 1998. Well, maybe you don't go bombing a church, okay? I'm yeah. sorry. That whole last statement to me negates everything that he said before. Yes, it's nice that you are, you are, apologetic to Fred and his family and that he missed out and all of that. But it's just that one line about, I want it not to be about what happened to me in 1988. That just made me see red. Anyways, he goes yeah. on to say, Oh my God. He goes on to say, I can say with an honest heart, I am thankful that I came to prison. I would not be the man I am today without the experiences I've had in prison. That being said, it pains me for all the pain I've caused my family. 
for not being there for them. But I don't think there could have been any other way to reach my heart than going through this experience. Uh, I did not know fully how Jesus, Jesus's followers should act and react. Uh, that I've come to learn is how I acted was completely wrong and I should not have done what I did. Yeah. Uh, and when asked what he would do if he were faced today with a similar situation as in 1988, Swap said he would simply pack up and move. So, no, you would not simply pack up and move your family because you should have just put your kids in school. Right. Should have just, I mean, granted that was John Singer. His kids should have just been put in school. Uh, that is so angry. Yes, he did say he was wrong and I should not have done what I did, but it seems like it's more, he still thinks that it's something that happened to him and he's sad that he wasn't there for his family. You weren't there for your family from the beginning. You were a polygamist and like <sighs> defending a man not putting his children in school and who is neglecting his children. Ugh, God, I don't know. So this whole thing made me so angry and nothing was learned. <laughs> and we can all go on and feel bad about ourselves for the rest of the day. So that's that. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> so shall we talk about Waco? Texas? Sure, why not? Let's do this. <laughs> He's the third Animaniac, right? What? Yeah, Wacko. Yes. (laughs) Oh. Wacko, his creation. So it's not really about... Waco, Texas is a place. We're not going to be really talking about that place, but we're going to be talking about an incident that is known as the Waco Siege or the Waco Massacre. Because it was. Yes. It kind of... It sucks, too, when, like... When you say Waco, no one's going to be like, oh, Waco, Texas. Or if you said, if someone was from there, they're going to always associate it with this. And that's, that is slightly unfortunate, you know? Yeah, it reminds me of like those videos where you're like, where those commercials are like, oh, sorry, can you hear me now? Oh, well, I can't hear. Okay. Um, it's it reminds me of those like commercials of like come to Alabama, you know, and it's like shows a guy golfing and stuff. Like you're not going to see videos for that for Waco, you know. <laughs> come to Waco. Well, apparently, you can go visit the the where the compound is. You can actually oh, wow. go there. Oh, interesting. Um, it's just a suggested donation of like ten bucks, and you know, but um, that's about it. And it's uh, <laughs> the compound's actually about twenty miles outside of Waco, Texas. So mm. anywho, um, so at Waco, well, so 20 miles outside of Waco, Texas, there is the compound known as Mount, Mount, ooh, we're starting off with a great night, Mount Carmel <laughs> Center. Uh, and that is where this incident took place. And at that area was a group of folks, a religious, a religious group um, called the Branch Davidians. Now, to understand the Branch Davidians, you kind of have to go back a few decades 
Uh, so it was founded in 1955 by Benjamin Roden, and it was an offshoot of the General Association of Davidian Seventh-day Adventist, which was an offshoot of Seventh-day Adventists. So back in 1935, just a bunch of men just wanting to come up with their own ideas on how things mm-hmm. should be. Uh, so back in 1935, uh, Victor Hotef decided that he wanted some reform happening in the Seventh-day Adventist church. The leaders of that church were like, no, we like it how it is. So he's like, you know what, then I'm going to go ahead and create my own sect. And that's pretty much a lot of Christian religions. It's one guy saying, I want to do things my way. And then off they go. Um, Now with Seventh-day Adventists, their whole thing is trying to find clues within the Bible or within various prophets about when the end of times are going to be so that they can prepare for it. Like that's their big thing with their religion, which is going to kind of play to these various uh, sects that happen later on. So 1930-45, we have Victor Hotef. He creates his Association of Davidian Seventh-day Adventist. Then in 1955, Benjamin Roden kind of comes up with his own ideas that he is, uh, that they say the Branch Davidians, because he is calling himself the Branch based off of the book of Isaiah, uh, chapter 11, verse 1, and basically saying, well, I'm kind of a prophet and this is how I believe things should be. So that's when he created the Branch Davidians. Um, he pretty much took over until he died, uh, which was, uh, not too long afterwards. And then it well, not, I mean, not, not too long. He died in 1978. Um, his wife then took over and his wife, uh, about, you know, 60 year old woman or so this new follower starts coming to the compound. His name is uh, Vernon Howell, and it's 1981. You know, he's uh, in his 20s. And at this time, Florence and Howell begin a physical relationship. And Howell is very charming, and he's uh, also um, kind of working his way up in this, no, I guess this church, I should say. Uh, And Howell then also (laughs) later marries a 14-year-old girl who happens to be the daughter of an influential family uh, within the church. And so now he's starting to come up and uh, he starts thinking that he should lead this church uh, after Florence, not Florence, sorry, after Rodin's wife dies. Um, But she does have a son, uh, named George, and he thinks that he should be the one to take over uh, the church because, you know, hey, it's his father, the one that started it. Uh, but this guy, Vernon Hal, is, again, really good at getting people to support him. And George and Hal decide, you know what, we're going to do a contest. We're going to do the resurrection because they also believe in that, that they do have the power through Jesus Christ to be able to resurrect the dead. <laughs> kind of a similar story, right? Yeah. Why do people but, think we can do that? Like no one's ever done that. Why do you, 
and it's still something that's done today to where yeah. they really do believe if they pray hard enough that they can resurrect their loved ones. And it's a very, very painful thing for the yeah. loved ones when it doesn't happen because yeah. it's never happened. Like, uh, I understand, like, certain sp- spiritualists will, like, communicate with the dead. Like, I could understand, like... No, they full-on believe that the dead will rise. Yeah. And this yeah. is after they've been... Uh, th- well, in this particular instance, they they uh, dug up a corpse that had been dead for 20 years. There's... How is it going to be revived, okay? Yeah. And so, I would not want that. Like, on a, if I'm dead... And I'm rotting. Do not put me back in that body. Okay. And it's also all your blood has been taken out. You've gone through all the preservatives. You're you're not going to be the same. No. Yeah. Um, They put a piece of metal in your butt. Are you really want to gonna? Are you really gonna want to come back from coming out? You know. It's not. It's not pleasant. It's not. Wait, wait. Piece of metal in your butt. What? Because otherwise, everything is going to end up leaking. Yeah, uh, yeah. Okay, or, okay. Because you're not the human body wasn't meant to be preserved in a box. Our bodies are supposed to decompose and go back into the earth. Uh, but if, uh, a lot of these religions, it's almost you know the they want to preserve the bodies because they truly believe the bodies will be res- resurrected the, when the coming of Christ. Damn, that's right? probably not something they tell you about when you pick out your coffin and stuff. Right, exactly. They really do. <laughs> like, it's a long sleep. Um, and so basically, Rodin and how we're going to do a Jesus off. Like, who can raise the dead? And whoever raises the dead is now going to take charge of the church. <laughs> well, obviously, the dead doesn't get raised. But... Hal was like, you know what? We can maybe, if we get enough evidence on Rodin, we can bring to the authorities that he had broken the law by exhuming a corpse. So how, and also the, the Branch Davidians are all about guns, you know, collecting guns, saving guns, because again, they're in preparation for the end of the world. That's what their whole focus and trying to figure out when the end of the world is going to happen and how it's going to happen. So all everybody's got guns. So how decides to take a, some guns. Uh, they're going to break into the compound and collect enough evidence to show that Rodin is guilty. They can give it to the authorities and then take Rodin down. Well, there comes, you know, a bit of a scuffle and... Hal actually ends up getting arrested for the attempted murder of Rodin. Um, and uh, Rodin was saying, oh, no, we only exhumed the body because we were, were moving it to a different cemetery. So he kind of gets off on that charge. But it doesn't matter because Rodin is then later uh, arrested uh, for charges of murder because, you know, these are great people. So he gets mm-hmm. taken and then that gives Hal... Uh, the ability to kind of come back and take over the church. And when he comes back, he actually changes his name to uh, the name that we know him today as David Koresh. And basically both of those names are very biblical in nature. David as in the line of David where 
Jesus is supposedly from, and then Koresh is also another important uh, biblical character. So basically, by changing his name and coming back um, and taking over leadership, he's giving the sense that he is uh, destined to do this, that it, he's the next coming of the Messiah. And he also was very much obsessed with uh, the book of Revelations. Uh, he had a very rough childhood growing up that was marked with violence and abuse. Oh my God, shocking. Uh, in school, he was very intelligent, but he showed some learning, uh, not disabilities, just, you know, like very smart people don't necessarily learn in the traditional ways and within the school system. As we know, if you don't learn exactly how they want you to learn, they automatically think that you're stupid. So they yeah. were putting him in remedial classes and he got the nickname of, I think it was Mr. Retardo. You know, not something very nice. When in yeah. fact, he isn't. He's actually quite intelligent. Uh, he very much becomes obsessed with the Bible and is able to learn full passages and scriptures and becoming very devoted within that. But again, there's also his own clashes with the Seventh-day Adventist as well. He thinks he has his own ideas. Um, he ends up fathering a child when he was very young, but not able to see the, the, the kid because the, the mom was like 15 years old, 14, 15, very young. Um, oh, so wow. very rough childhood, but very intelligent, very much into the Bible and music as well. Uh, and in 1981, that's when he comes to the compound and starts having the affair with uh, Mrs. Roden and all that stuff. So in his mind, he feels like he has finally found his place as the leader of the new uh, branch Davidians. And it gets a little bit crazy there. So he's definitely encouraging people to collect weapons. Uh, because they need them, uh, because he believes that right before the end, they are going to have a large battle with the Babylonians, which is translating to the non-believers. So he very much believes that there is going to be a standoff between his compound and his believers and some unknown force as of yet out there. Uh, he also pretty much tells all the married couples, uh, you are no longer married to each other because we are all married to Christ. And I have been told basically that men should, you should all become celibate, no masturbation. And the only person that can have any sexual relationships with the women is him. How yeah. convenient. I saw that coming a mile you know? away. <laughs> right? Um, why is it always believed, that too? Exactly. Why is it? And always young women. Like it was allegedly his youngest wife that he took was 10 years old. Ugh, gross. Yeah, yes. And he also even believed. Like, mm -hmm. Or I was going to say, even like the Source family, when I did on the other podcast, when I did the the episode about the Source family, like it ended up coming to that. Like eventually he was just like, Oh yeah, all the women are married to me now. Exactly. You know? I have to all the women. I'm the only one that can have sex with these women. Yeah. Like Jesus is super. When I start my cult, 
it's not going to be like that. Like, I don't even like PDA, so I'm not going to have sex with everyone. Just letting you know, if you want to join, that's not going to be a thing. <laughs> so He also believed that uh, he needed to lead the next generation of leaders, which were going to be his children, and that he needed to father 21 children from virgins. So lots of young girls needed to get impregnated. Woo! (laughs) Um, So that was happening. Yeah. Um, And there were rumors of sexual molestation and abuse of the children, which we're not too surprised. It's like, yeah, if he's having sex with 10 year old girls, I'm sure these kids are, Yeah, who knows what's happening to them. Um, but of course, because of what happens, none of that could have been proven. And it's really sad what happens if you don't already know. Uh, so basically he, he's now in this compound. He is fathering a whole bunch of children with these women. He's the only one allowed to have sex with them. Uh, people are just eating up everything that he is saying because they're saying, like, you know, he can not only quote the Bible, but then when he was speaking, it was almost as if God was speaking through him. And, you know, people just felt like he was the real deal. He was truly the, 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 the lamb. And so in the book of Revelations, they talk about, there is the lamb and the lamb is the only one that is able to open up the seven seals, therefore unleashing the apocalypse. And David truly believed that he was the lamb and that he would be the one to open up those seven seals and bring on uh, the apocalypse here on earth. But we're all still here. So obviously that didn't happen. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Now, one of the things that the branch Davidians were doing was they were bringing in inert or empty grenades and to the compound. And then from there, they would go ahead and fill the grenades, making them usable. So they're bringing in explosions. Uh, There had also been reports of machine gun fire and also explosions happening. So that alerted the attention of the ATF uh, that is the alcohol, uh, tobacco and firearms division, mm-hmm. uh, which was also called in your group as well. Yeah. It always seems they're the ones that are brought in for these situations and they started to investigate. Uh, they had an inside person that was getting the lay down of what was happening inside. They kind of knew the schedule of what everything was going to happen. Um, and they, pretty much knew that the best way to take everyone down was to catch them by surprise. And so come in really quickly, get them all arrested, get them out of there. They knew about the women and children. They didn't want anybody. Well, so they say they didn't want anybody uh, to get hurt. Um, And they didn't, they knew they had a whole bunch of firepower and that basically these folks would fight and not surrender. And again, one of the things they had been told that they believed or so that they were saying is that they 
these folks would either fight or commit a mass suicide. So that was one of the things the ATF said that they were trying to avoid was them doing a whole mass suicide um, or shootout. So uh, February 20, February 28th, um, yeah, because it went from February 28th to April 19th. It was the longest siege in American modern history on American soil. So that was like over 50 days. So they thought that they were going to go in on the 28th, get all these folks arrested and clear up. Um, But a couple of things went wrong. Uh, They wanted the element of surprise because they knew that if David had any preparation, that he was going to dig himself in there like a tick and use all of his firepower. Uh, So they thought, okay, we're going to, we're going to go. Nobody's going to know. But of course there were leaks. Uh, The press found out um, because, you know, somebody was dating an EMT and the EMTs had been told, hey, you need to prep uh, for any casualties because something's going to go down over in the compound off of Waco, Texas. She tells her boyfriend, he's like, you, and the boyfriend's like, oh, tell somebody else you need to be in the press, uh, press room early that morning. Something's happening. So the press gets wind. I'm sorry. They mess things up. Um, yeah. What happens is they're on their way to the compound and they stop a postal person. Bless you. <laughs> Bless you. They, Hail Satan. <laughs> so the the press team is on their way to the compound and they stop a mailman ask, and they ask him for directions. And the mailman goes, well, why, why do you want to know the directions out there? And they're like, oh, that's because we heard that the ATF is going to be doing a raid. Well, the mailman happened to be the son of one of the higher ups there at the compound. So he heads back to the compound and basically informs them of what's happening. So David already knows what's going to go down because the original plan was they would go in there while the workers were out. They wouldn't have guns. They would catch them by surprise, blah, blah, blah. Well, not now. Now they're all ready for uh, the ATF to to come on in. And um, uh, so they and again, there is speculation on who shot the first shot, because what happens is they have their standoff, somebody fires a shot, and then it's just a gunfire for the next 45 minutes. Uh, they later believe that it was the ATF, one of the agents that might have fired the first shot trying to kill one of the dogs, and that's what set everything off. Now, somebody from within the compound actually calls 911 saying, there are women and children in here. You need to call this off. You need, the ATF needs to stop firing at us. So finally, the ATF, they they stop firing, they back off. Um, but already there's casualties on both sides. And during this time, um, David gets shot in the hip and the wrist. So he's injured. Uh, they decide to bring in the FBI and they go into negotiations for like the next 50 days. (laughs) Uh, And it's interesting because the FBI and the ATF also use similar tactics that were used in your story 
Uh, they were trying to use the psychological breaking down of them. So uh, they played mm-hmm. loud noises, um, most infam- infamously uh, the screaming rabbits, um, uh, Sinatra's These Boots Are Made for Walking, What's-Her-Face? Oh, Nancy great. Sinatra. I, Nancy, yeah, Nancy Sinatra's These Boots Are Made for Walking, Airplane Sounds, Breaking Glass, uh, alarms. They were basically just trying to stress them out. Uh, they would also like um, uh, Himalayan monks doing chants. So all these loud noises bombarding them with all of that. Uh, they cut off their electricity, um, but that wasn't working. And again, they, the ATF and the FBI have been told that these folks will not give up that they will not surrender. And right now they truly believe that this is that last battle before the apocalypse. So that this was, that they were the armies of Babylon and the the branch Davidians were now doing their righteous uh, last battle. And again, the belief in the resurrection. So David Koresh truly believed that they would go into battle and they would be resurrected three days later and they would all be in the Garden of Eden. So they have that mentality. But again, they're also the FBI and the ATF is very worried that they're going to commit mass suicide or so they say. Mm-hmm. So as they're going into negotiations, you know, David Koresh really wants to try to explain to the world about the seven seals and how he's going to be opening them up and spew more of his religious rhetoric. And behind the scenes, uh, the FBI had come up with a plan to try to dump a bunch of tear gas into the compound, expecting them to flush out the children. So their thought, so they say, was that if we put in the tear gas, they knew that the, the Branch Davidians had gas masks, but they also knew the gas masks were too large for the kids. So they were thinking that, okay, we're going to dump in all of this tear gas and the most logical thing for the adults to do would then to evacuate the kids. And then we evacuate the kids to safety. Um, They decide to do this. Well, they get the okay from Janet Reno to use the tear gas on April 17th. And then they go ahead and they uh, pump it into the building on April 19th. And another thing that they were doing is they had the large tanks that were knocking down parts of the wall. Now, the FBI says, oh, we're doing this as a way to create exits for the people that wanted to leave. But it actually did a lot more damage. In fact, later on, it was shown that the, the actions of the tanks breaking down parts of those buildings ended up killing some people and it didn't help them escape. And so now yeah. they're pumping a lot of tear gas into like a lot, like a, a gross amount where usually that amount of tear gas is used over a period of a few days, not a few hours. And they knew full well that the children did not have gas masks. So, and then at this time, uh, David Koresh was still up and about, even though he was injured, he was still giving orders. 
And his whole thing was that the women and children needed to survive because they were the future of the of the sect. And he believed that he would martyr himself and then be reborn in three days. So he has all the women and children kind of go into this bunker, basically. And then that is where they're going to hide out. And so none of them get evacuated with the tear gas. And that was kind of the plan for the ATF and the FBI. They hadn't expected that he was going to, or so they say, allegedly, they didn't think that he was going to sequester all the women and children and not let them out. Um, So... They send in this tear gas, and then for for a while there was controversy on who started the fire. So the ATF and the FBI were like, oh, no, no, Uh, the Branch Davidians, they're the ones that they went ahead and they started the fire. But it was later revealed that it was actually the tear gas canisters uh, that they were using known to start fires. And so that's kind of where the fire probably originated because there were survivors from the Branch Davidians that did escape the building as it was on fire. And they were like, none of us started it, trust me. And they were like, it wouldn't make sense because uh, David was wanting to save the children. So it made no sense why he would kill them at this time or set the building on fire. And there were 21 children under the age of 12, and 12 of those children were actually David's own kids. And so they're now all in this bunker. Um, once the fire starts, it pretty much decimates the entire building. A handful of the Branch Davidians were able to escape, and they were arrested. I believe it was like seven of them escaped. Um, but 74 people died uh, 20 children under 12. And like I said, 12 of them had been uh, David's children. Um, now, as they are going through and finding these bodies, some of them, they were able to identify many of them were not, but uh, I, the FBI and the ATF were trying to be like, Oh, they committed mass suicide. Like, no, they didn't. Um, most of them died no. from asphyxiation from the fire. Others had been crushed by the, the, when the tanks had gone ahead and started breaking down the walls. Uh, in the bunker, they were seeing what might have been mercy killings because there were a lot of gunshot wounds, up-close gunshot wounds. And then when they found David Koresh's body, he had also apparently died of a gunshot wound to the head, but it was unclear of whether it was somebody else killing him or if it was suicide of him killing himself. And that's kind of where everything ended. Um, The people that were arrested, uh, they were found that they really weren't the ones trying to kill the FBI or the ATF. Um, So they were not found guilty on those charges. Um, But it does show that both the ATF and the FBI were a a bit too aggressive in how they kind of handled. Just just a bit. Yeah. 
yeah, the situation at Waco. I mean, of course, there was the whole being tipped off at the beginning. I think that really messed everything up. But the fact that after those 50 days, it really did get escalated instead of being de-escalated. Like there really was no reason to use that kind of tear gas um, or to do any of um, what they did with the tanks. And that after those 50 days, David Koresh wasn't really showing any signs that of the mass suicide that they had been so afraid of. And then also with the uh, child abuse allegations, because all the children died, nothing could have ever was brought to light or proven. Uh, so they have no yeah. idea exactly what was happening at that time. But it was uh, definitely a massacre. And um, a lot of, uh, a lot of, men at fault here because really it was yeah. the men that and so many innocent children and women i think too that mm -hmm. ended up dying over these male egos so yeah, yeah. we're but gonna get again, an email or a comment saying not all men are cult leaders <laughs> um but not, yeah no it, i 100 agree no, but but again, you see the similarities between your story and mine. The whole belief in the resurrection, the whole in the the male leaders knowing better than than everybody else, and the attempt to isolate them from any other source of information, and the control yeah. and the use of guns and violence and firepower being justified by their god so yeah, yeah. kind of a That's sad sad story yeah so waco <laughs> <laughs> so yeah you're you're welcome everyone for us right. making you sad. Right. Provi <laughs> providing that great Yay. Waco intro. Come to All Waco. All right. Well, that's <laughs> our podcast for tonight. Pat, do you have anything to add? <laughs> no, I yeah, I wish I did. That was yeah, it's pretty depressing. All that. <laughs> that's it's pretty pretty interesting now, the whole yeah, the FBI uh yeah, it's a, it's all really weird. Like, God, that's yeah. so that's so depressing. <laughs> well, like it, things should have been done differently, but right, right. Especially with the women and the children, like they knew they were there, and that was like I guess the whole excuses for some of the things they did. But then, yeah, just the amount of tear gas that was pumped in, and yeah. the fact that the tanks were really destroying those buildings they weren't making a way out for these peoples and, and it also like kind of like puts like a huge emphasis on how like <clears throat> we do end up treating most hostile situations you know like i can't i can't count the amount of times i've seen like you know where the cops just unload clips on cars right. you know when it's like you probably hit him a couple times already you probably don't need to unload 20 guns on one car you know what i mean like yeah, i think that's like a constant thing is overdoing it you know yeah and how yeah. it causes and yeah because same thing with the tear gas the destroying of the building and the fact that the tear gas canisters were created the fire 
there was no way these people could have escaped. They really did block them in and massacre them. So that's that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's a good episode though. Yeah. I still can't hear Pat, so I'm just gonna assume that was a yeah, witty and so- intelligent retort. He <laughs> 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 said good episode. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so next week, what am I doing next week? Next week, I'm actually pretty excited. Uh, Roxana, no, Teresa is going to talk about Lana Turner and that whole situation. Do you know that story? I don't think I do. So, uh, well, well, you'll have to listen to the episode. <laughs> I'll have to. So, Teresa, let's see. And then I'm talking about Dorothy Stratton, which is kind of ironic because the Chippendales documentary on Discovery Plus just came out. Did you you switch? We switched, right? Because October 13th was going to be the Lindbergh baby and Adolf Coors. Oh, is it? And then October 12th was Lana Turner. We might have switched. Let oh, that's fine. I don't mind doing the Lindbergh baby on the 20th. Spoiler okay. alert. It died. <laughs> Let me double check with Teresa. I'll text Teresa tomorrow morning and I'll get back to you. Eat off yeah. Coors, which is also ironic because I didn't know we were just in Denver and I didn't know Coors beer originated in Denver. Yeah, the um, Rocky Mountains. That's why they have them on the can. And when the old the Rocky Mountains are blue, and then it's made. I'm I'm a Miller girl, but that's fine. Well, it's all water. (laughs) It's It's all all flavored water. Yeah, Uh, but yeah, Adolf Coors, his whole situation. Do you know? You know about the Lindbergh baby, and what happened with that? Yeah, again, the tragedy of yeah, baby. Yeah. (laughs) His story is pretty similar, but it was not a baby. It was an adult. But yeah, anyways, it was a good episode. Uh, Thank you all for listening to my weird little podcast. Uh, More weird topics, subjects, stories to come in the future. And super excited with Mm. all of that. Please follow us on Facebook. it is called My Weird Little Podcast on Facebook or on Instagram, also My Weird Little Podcast. Email us any suggestions, comments, concerns at myweirdlittlepodcast at gmail.com. But please be nice. <laughs> um, and stay spooky, everyone. Ooh. 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 <laughs> nice. <laughs>